There are 39 milahot which constitute forms of work forbidden on the Sabbath. It's the why behind the way we do the things we do. Join Rabbi Musha Schnurb now for Hilchos Shabbos, only on 101.9 High FM. This is Soul to Soul. Warm welcome to our entire radio family. Thank you so much for taking time on a Friday afternoon to join us. Hopefully, this week we will be able to share some Torah together, be able to inspire each other, be able to get ready for another beautiful, beautiful Shabbos, Kodesh, Shabbos, Kodesh, Pashas, Pinchas, Tuf, Shin, Pei, Gimel, Habo, Aleinu, Latoiva. We so look forward to another beautiful Shabbos. And again, what we talk about at this show is meant not only for your own self-edification, not only for your own self-knowledge, but of course, to come to the Shabbos table, raise an idea, speak about something, use uh, use it as a springboard for a discussion, at at the table, that's what it's all. That's what it's all about. So, getting right into it, one of the main issues in this week's Pasha Pasha's Pinchas is Moshe Benu gets involved in choosing a leader that's going to succeed him, because as we know, he's not going to be allowed to go into Eretz Yisrael. And Moshe Benu says to Hashem, "Choose a leader, Asheyet Selif Nam." Who will go out before them, them, and who will come back in front, in front of them. Now, Moshe Rabbeinu is asked Baruch Hu, to appoint his successor, one who would seamlessly move into the position of leadership, both in the practical sense and in his ability to address the spiritual needs of the Jewish nation. Among the criteria which Moshe suggested was that the leader be one who would lead, as I say, from the front, leading the men into battle and successfully leading them home. It's understandable that a leader be at the forefront in the battlefield to encourage his men, right, letting them know that he too is fighting alongside them. But why is it necessary for the leader to be at the front for their victorious homecoming? How does that show that the leader cares for for his people? So Rav Chaim Taitu Shlita, the Torah of Chaim, explains this with the following story. It says, a terrible plague broke out in the city of Warsaw, Poland. Many Nebuch Yiddish residents of the Warsaw community contracted this illness, and as a result, many ended up in the hospital for treatment. On Erev Yom Kippur, the Rav of the community, Harav Shleimer Zalman Lipschitz Zatzal, who the Chemdash Shleimer made an announcement that any Jew who was serving in the hospital in any capacity should not come to Shul on Yom Kippur. Right? One would think that he feared them to be maybe contagious themselves, risking the health of the community. No! He explained that the patient's welfare was more important than their davening. These special yidin had a responsibility to their patients who should not be left alone. On Yom Kippur night, the shul was packed. Everyone was in attendance, except for the Rav, who was nowhere to be found. After some time, a messenger was dispatched to the Rav's house to learn the reason for the Rav's absence. The problem was, the Rav was not home. No one knew where he was. Their Rav seemed to be missing. They divided up into small groups to search for him throughout the community. In the end, on a hunch, one group went to the hospital to ascertain if the Rav might be there. Lo and behold, 
The Rav was there addressing the needs of the patients. He explained, I checked at the hospital if the volunteers were there. I was dismayed to discover that these wonderful, wonderful Balei Chesed, these kind people decided to go to shul at the expense of the patients. So I stayed to do whatever I could to alleviate the pain and loneliness of the, of, of, of the patients. That is, we learn from here that a true leader never leaves his people. He waits until the very end to see to it that no Jew is left behind. That is what Moshe alluded to. Klai required a leader who would not simply lead them into battle, but one who would remain with them until the very end of the of the campaign in order to accompany everybody home. This is 11.9 Chayef and the program is Soul to Soul. We'll be back in a moment. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, this is Soul to Soul, back on your radio. Erev Shabbos, Kedish, Pashas, Pinchas, Tav, Shin, Pegim, as we get ready for another beautiful, beautiful Shabbos, Kedish, ah, Gishmak to be able to think, to be able to stop and get off the merry-go-round and, and think a little bit about what's really important about our own matzah, our own situation, our own relationship with our Kodesh Baruch Hu, to learn some Torah. So let me give you an idea that maybe you can share with your family and, and develop yourself because it, it's an important idea that's, that applies, I think, to, to many, to many of us. They tell a story. About the uh, uh, Rav Sholem Kamenke, who was one time uh, went to visit his Rebbe, the Sar Sholem from Bells, and it happened to be this week's Pasha, happened to be Pasha's Pinchas, and he went he didn't go by himself. He went together with his friend Rav Chaim Tzanza. And while they were there, while they were at their Rebbe's house, they asked him a difficult question about the very first Rashi in this week's, in this week's Pasha. The Pasha begins, as we know, Pinchas ben Eloza ben Aaron Akoyin Akoyish says that Pinchas the son of Eloza, son of Aaron, Heishivis Chamosim Yabun Israel, by his incredibly courageous act of, of standing up, when, 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 uh, a Nasi Bisrael, a, a, a prince in the Jewish nation was committing the most terrible and disgusting act with a, with a Midianite princess in, 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 in front of, in public, in front of the whole Jewish nation. And he stood up and took the matter into his own hands and killed them both. HaKadosh Baruch says he was Zaycha Eishev Eschamasi. He allayed by anger. Against the Jewish nation, Kinosi, when he took my revenge, and therefore, therefore, Pinchas is going to get a special reward. He's going to get the reward, as we know, of that he became a Koyen, even though uh, uh, the Koyenim were only ascribed to the family of Aaron that had been born before that point. Pinchas was slipped in as a late entry and was given as reward the ability to also be a Ekoid. Rashi brings down, the very first Rashi, brings down the Gemara in Sanhedrin on Daf Pebez, and it's also in Saita, I think, on Daf Membez. So why does it say Pinchas ben Elozov and Aaron Akoin? Why does it have to mention his father and his Zayda? So Rashi says, because the other Shvatim were making fun of him, were embarrassing him, were belittling him. And they said, Oh, have you seen Bain Puti, the son of this Puti? Do you know what his grandfather on his mother's side did? The grand, his grandfather on his mother's side was Yisrael. 
שפיתם הגולם לעבוד זרה. Look at who Yis, his gzeda was. Yisrael, Yisrael, we know, in the beginning of his career, was Koyen Midran, was the leading <coughs> religious official in Midian, and, and uh, was serving, in fact, Kometra says he served every kind of Avodah that existed. And now, his grandson, the Horad Nasi Shevet Yisrael, and he now is, is going and killing uh, uh, Zimri ben Silo was, was a, a Nasi, one of the, the princes. What kind of yichas does he have? His father himself was an Oyvayavanazar. Where does he come off doing such an act of, uh, to, of, of, to, a, to a great, to a great Jew? And therefore, the apostle has to come and say, whoa, whoa, one second. It's true that his mother's father was Yisrael. But look who his father's father was. He was Pinchas, the son of Elazar, the son of Aaron Akoyin. His Zedah on his father's side was, was Aaron the Koyin. As I Rashi, that's what Rashi says. The question they asked the Belzer Rebbe was, the truth is, the Shvatim also knew that Pinchas, uh, uh, came from, from Aaron. Of course, the same way they knew that his mother's father was Yisrael, they knew also that his father's father was Aaron. And nevertheless, they still went on to make fun of him and embarrass him because on his mother's side, there was a bit of a problem. On his mother's side, he did emanate from, from, uh, from, from Yisrael. So what does it help actually that the Torah goes and mentions that his grandfather was Aaron? Okay, that's known, that's that's obvious. But still, there is a pagam. There seems to be they are arguing some kind of a shortcoming in the in the sort of pedigree of of Pinchas. And and, and how did he come off? Where 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 did he find the strength? Where did he have the right to go and and kill a Nasi based on who he was? And where he, where he came from. So the Belzer Rebbe answered them and said, let me tell you a story that once happened to the great Chayzer Milublin. Says, and the story was, was as follows. There was a Yid who owned uh, what used to be called the Kretschme, what used to be a, you know, a hotel or which focused on providing uh, sort of beautiful golden uh, strong drinks to to people and uh, he lived in in a particular in a particular uh, uh, a village and he made his panasa from this uh, from this Kretschme, from this little call it a pub right and uh, as we know, that a, a, a sizable percentage of the Parnassa of Yidin at that time was from from running these uh, these uh, type of pubs that sold all kinds of whiskey and stuff to all the peasants. And uh, with that, they would be able to pay the the uh, the taxes or the 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 uh, rental. To the, to the person who owned the, uh, the inn, right? And, and, uh, from the, whatever was left over, Bokshan, they managed to eke out a, a Parnassa for, for, for themselves. Now, not very far from where this particular, uh, pub was, was, uh, located, there lived a particular one of the, uh, local officials of the, other religion that's called him a, a priest, that he was an incredibly, incredibly stingy person and wanted to do whatever he could to restrict or perhaps even cut off totally the panas of this Jew. And therefore, he, he told another guy to open himself another sort of uh, uh, drinkery uh, uh, right nearby, and this priest said that don't worry, he would make sure that all the, the all the non-Jews would go to buy by him and not by the by the Jew, 
and and that would completely sort of uh, restrict the trade of the of the of the of the Jew. He would lose all his all his customers and have no choice but eventually to close to close down. When the Yid saw that his Parnassah was now being squeezed out by this uh, competition, and, and, and this was going to be really, really detrimental to him. So what did he do? He traveled straight away to the Lublina Rov and, and poured out in front of him his, his bitterness, how, how, how terrible and how desperate his situation was. When the Tzaddik heard his request, so he promised him that this guy would have his downfall and, and, and would die. And in fact, exactly as the tzaddik predicted, so it was. And it wasn't a very, very long time until that uh, opposition, that the competition uh, uh, shop was closed because the proprietor uh, died and all his customers came back to him as as they had they had uh, uh, originally. The the uh, the priest did not give up hope. He had other plans up his sleeves. But you'll have to come back after the break to hear the continuation of the story. This is one one point nine. The program is soul to soul. This is Chai FM, and we are in the middle of something amazing. Please stay with us. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, this is Sol the Sol, back on your radio. Erev Shabbos, Kodesh, Pashas, Pinchas, Tov, Shin, Pei, Gimel. We are talking about a Yid who never ran a, ran a Kretschmer and had a nearby a opponent who wanted to see his income shut down and therefore tried to get another shop opened. The Lublina Rav said that there wouldn't be a problem and that guy unfortunately met his end, maybe unfortunately, but this uh, neighbor, this priest, didn't give up hope so quickly uh, about being able to sort of do in the Jew. And in a very short time, they, they, he already appointed Another yid, another, sorry, another guy in his place of the first one. And again, uh, 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 the whole process repeated itself for all the customers left the Kretschmer of the, of the yid and, uh, and, uh, went to the guy. And again, the yid traveled to, to Lublin to again, to beg for his parnos and for his family from, from the, from the Rebbe. To be able to escape from from the uh, the hunger and, and and the shame and the danger that uh, that was hanging over his head. When when the, the tzaddik heard his words, he says, "I will daven for you again that you're saved, but it's not going to happen in the same way as as it happened in the previous time, because the first time." After the non-Jew uh, passed away, so a, a a certain spirit came to me with two candles that had been extinguished in inner hands with a with a claim. Right? Why did you uh, extinguish these two candles? And 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 that's what the the Belzareva answered his question is without explaining his his words. He said to him, Why did you distinguish two candles and the and, and these two two Talmidim of the Belzareva heard the story, didn't understand what he was talking about. When they left their Rebbe, they sat down and they tried to understand what was the Belzareva trying to tell them. Because from this Misa, we see that all the Nishamas that need to come out from a particular person, right? They're already there. You know, it's the, the, the sparks of any Nishama that a person is supposed to produce in this world already exists certainly in a potential, in a, in a, in a, in a spark form. And therefore, 
the, the, this, uh, spirit came that this non-Jew who the Chayzeh davened should die was supposed to have two children who, in spite of who their father might have been, they, they were going to be good children. And now those, those lives were snuffed out. And, and they came with a, with a claim against, against the, the Chayzeh. So therefore, they came to conclude, the two Talmidim of the Bells Rebbe came to a conclusion that here too, they understood it very, very well. In other words, the Shvatim came and they were making fun of Pinchas because they claimed that everything that he did came from the evil Midas and character traits that uh, were sort of entrenched in him from from his very very youth, since he was the the grandson of Yisrael, and it wasn't an act of kinas Hashem of pure uh, desire to preserve the honor of Hakadosh Baruch Hu. and therefore the pasuk has to specifically tell us no. That is, Zayda was Aaron to tell us that Pinchas was a holy, holy person. And what he did was completely related to the pure origins of, of his soul, which was Aaron, Aaron Akain. And in the same way as he received this Kedusha from his Zayda, Aaron, so too the fact that he was the, the descendant of Ben Puti, of Yisrael, doesn't take away his greatness at all. Because even when he was by the Zayda, even if it was just that, that teeny, that teeny spark, he always was going to be a good and beautiful and upright and upright person. In other words, all the years that Yisrael was even serving as a, as a uh, priest for the Abba Zara, so still, there were those pure sparks of, of the, of the grandchildren that were going to be good and they were going to be holy, uh, 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 descendants of, of his. And therefore, what he did had absolutely nothing to do with the fact that his Zayda was, was, was Yisrael. With this, we can come to explain the Gemara we're going to be doing in a couple of days in Dafyomi, one of the Gemaras that's so famous and spoken about on, on, on Tishvav, that tells the story of Nero and Kesar. Nero and Kesar who were sent to destroy Yerushalayim, even though <coughs> that we know that he was one of the descendants of, uh, of Esau. And and therefore, because he had that in his family genes, he really should have gone with great joy and, and great simcha to destroy Yerushalayim. But Chazal tell us that Niran was uh, not so uh, happy to begin the, the, the work of, of the destruction. First of all, he wanted to make sure, he wanted to do a check that this was really the right thing to do. And what did he do? He shot arrows into the four directions into the sky and he saw that all of the arrows turned in the direction of Yerushalayim. Niron Kesar thought about this and, 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 you know, um, if you shoot arrows in four directions, they should go in four directions. And the fact that they all went towards Yerushalayim was something completely, completely unnatural. And he understood that Hashem is, so to speak, interested to destroy Yerushalayim. But he still was hesitant. And he still didn't go all gung-ho to carry out his his mission. He went over to a child. And he said to the child, said, tell me, tell me, what did you learn today in Cheder? So the child read to him the Posuk, Posuk in, in Yechezkel. It says, I'm going to take my revenge against Edom, against Esav, on behalf of my nation Yisrael. 
In other words, yes, at the moment, Edom is dominant. But Hashem promises to take revenge on behalf of the Yidden from their, from their oppressors. So Nimon understood that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is, yes, he's very interested that the Beis HaMikdash should be destroyed. And he's interested that Niron should be the one that destroys it. But at the end of the story, Hashem is going to punish Niron because he took upon himself this responsibility to carry out this particular job. And therefore, Niron decided to run away and to become a gear, to convert, and from him descended the great Rabbi Meir Balanes, came from this Niron Kesa. Says the Ben Ishai in, in uh, Ben Yoyada, and he says, it seems to me that since this Niron was Mechabed the Torah, he honored the Torah, that he relied on the Pasuk of Torah, set him by this child. Therefore, he was Zoyche to produce a descendant like Rameir, and about whom it says, Shoyameir eini chachomim ba'alocha. He used to light up the eyes of all the chachomim in all matters of ba'alocha. And that's why his name was called Meir. Right? Uh, and furthermore, he actually uh, 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 held back and, 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 and stopped himself from doing what his mission was to destroy the Beis HaMikdash, which was the Oiroi Shel Oiram, the light of the entire world, as the Gemara says, by Baba Ben Buta, he said to, to Hurdus in Baba Basra, and therefore, he was Zecha to have a descendant like, like Ramea. And furthermore, it says, he was, he was so amazed by the, the, the miracle that they showed him in Hashemayim regarding the Arabs, the, the, sorry, the arrows that he shot. And therefore, he was Zecha to produce Ramea Balanes and Zechusa Yogain Olena. May his merit protect us. Amen. Now, based on what the the Sasholim from Bells said, that the neshama, even a neshama that's sort of hidden by families of of non-Jews, right, can can definitely have a positive hashpa, a positive influence on that person. So we can perhaps say. That, that Niron Kesar himself, because he had already in him this spark of the, the, the Enochal of the grandchild Rabbi, Rabbi Meir. So in other words, this spark already had a tremendous influence on him and a positive influence, right? That he actually even thought of this idea. Let me go. Let me ask a child. Let me see what the Torah says about what I'm about to do. And he asked this child about the pasuk. Tell me what what uh, what you learned. And and actually to trust and believe what the child says. And and also to be amazed from the miracle that happened with the arrows that he shot. And not just to ah. It's all just. Yeah, coincidence, and 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 go and destroy Yerushalayim. He didn't. He didn't do that, and that was because of the great spark that already existed with with within him. That's certainly one way of understanding the the Rashid where the the Sashalom explained it. Perhaps we can explain a slightly different way. The, the, uh, the, that Rashi, the first Rashi, because the Shvatim were making fun of him. And they say, ah, this kid whose grandfather was, was, uh, uh, fattening up, uh, animals for the Avaidazara. Uh, is he going to go and kill a, 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 a prince amongst the Jewish nation? And therefore the Pasuk has to come and say, no, he's also the grandson of, of, of Aaron. And let's begin by, by, 
saying over what it says in the Sefer Degel Machene Ephraim in next week's Pasha, to explain the Pasuk, it says, Vayedaber Moshe Le'om Lebo, Moshe Rabbeinu speaks to the nation and says, Hecholotzu me'itchem anoshim la'tzava. Choose people to be the army. Ve'yiyu ha'midyon lo'seis nikmas Hashem b'midyon. And they'll go fight against Midian and take the revenge of Hashem against Midian. Midian had been the, the cause of this terrible, terrible debacle that caused 24,000 Jews to die in a plague. And he says, perhaps we can find in this Pasuk a remez, an illusion, based on something he says that I heard from my mechutim. Right? Uh, 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 he says, uh, Rav, Rav Nachman, Horidnika says on the Pasuk, the Pasuk in, in Shemayi's Pasuk says, the Ish lo yaleimach, we learned it yesterday on, on the fast day, the Gamisha yeira b'cholahor, no one else should be on, on the mountain. In other words, when a person wants to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu, really, and with a full, full heart, so then he needs to think to himself and to imagine to himself as if he is the only person in the world and that there's no uh, 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 no one else is going to be there no one else is going to help him no one else is involved he's standing on the stage all by himself and therefore he says that's why it says v'chol odom yeloi uh, it's, it's the concept of understanding that we are the, the sole act. We are doing a monologue. We are the only people that exist in, in the world. And, and, and you know, that also makes sense on, on, uh, in what it says in Pritiyavas, it says, in a place where there's no one else, you have to make the effort to be a person. In other words, that a person has to make this, the, the supreme effort to always consider himself as if he is a place where there's no one else but him. Right? And, and perhaps you can say that this is alluding to the fact in, in this passage, it says, Hey Cholzu. Hey Cholzu means to remove. In other words, as the people that were going to be chosen to go to this war against Midian, as you were preparing yourselves, as you were getting yourself psychologically ready for this war, think about the fact that why are you going and what are you doing it for? Not for any other reason than you're doing something completely, completely selfless, completely for the honor of our Kodesh Baruch And who's going to do it? It's you. It's your mission. You're the only one who can do it. You're the only one with those particular kalim, with those particular abilities, with those particular strengths, with those particular characteristics that can carry out this holy war against Midian. A nitmas Hashem. Not for the spoils. Not for the honor. Not for the camaraderie. Simply because this is the will of, of, of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Nitmas Hashem B'Midyan. Be, be, be this concept is also the uh, Pinchas Koratzer in, in Imre Pinchas. He also brings uh, uh, and explains the Pasuk way back in, in Bereshis where it says, Ze Sefer Adam. This is the Sefer of the chronology of the generations of man. Adam. On the day that Hashem created man, bidmus elokim Hashem made him in the form of, of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He says, when a person serves HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and he does it publicly, so there's all sorts of other uh, kind of uh, uh, subliminal kind of feelings and, and thoughts uh, that are completely sheloy lishma. That are for the wrong reason. You're in public, or everyone's watching you. You'll have a reputation. People will talk about you. You might get other jobs. You'll get other recognition. You might get an article in the, in the, in the local newspaper about you. Whatever. Then there can be all kinds of reasons why a person would want to do something publicly that aren't necessarily the right reason. But when a person serves HaKadosh Baruch Hu quietly, 
sort of behind behind the scenes without anybody without anyone about snea lechas and he does it in in a in a in a sincere and he does it in 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 a kind of a obscure kind of kind of way so then it's much 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 easier to 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 guard yourself and protect yourself from all the other motivations that could cause a person to do something for the wrong reasons in other words, so even though if a person is in in public, he should imagine to himself as if he's there alone by himself in the world. There's no one else in the world but him. And through that, he'll be able to save, be saved from all the other impure thoughts, from all the other subjective desires that a person might do things for, where he loses uh, his objectivity, he loses the perfection of doing it just l'shem, l'shem shemaim. And that's what it means. Ze sefer told Sodom. This is the story of the, of the generations of man. This is the great limud of of this sefer, how can a person fulfill and uh, carry out mitzvahs and do all kinds of good deeds, right? Which are, as we said, those are toldaisa. The story of a person's life is what did he do for Hakadosh Baruch Hu? What mitzvahs did he do? And it's biyoyim b'royel akim yadam that a person should imagine himself. That he is the only person, he was the only person that HaKadosh Baruch Hu created. Right? In the same way as on the day that HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the world, he created Adam Rishon, who was the unique and only person in, in the world. Right? So then, if a person has that kind of motivation, then you're going to be able to fulfill all the mitzvahs without worrying about any any other cause. And that's really what we have to say. That the Shvatim thought that Pinchas had all sorts of other ulterior motives uh, in, in what in what uh, what he did. After all, coming from Yisrael, there are all sorts of non shame Shemayim reasons that he may have done it. And therefore we tell him, no, no, no. This is the son of Aaron Akoyin. Everything he did was absolutely pure. Absolutely. He saw himself only as being the individual. This was his moment. This was his place. This was his job to do. And he did it completely and totally for the honor of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. This is 11.9. Chai FM. The program is soul to soul. We'll be back in a moment with our segment on Hilchus Shabbos. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, this is Salter Slow, back on your radio. Erev Shabbos, Kodesh, Pachos, Pinchas, Tovshin, Begimel. Thank you for joining us as we enter our Hilchos Shabbos segment. But before we do that, as we always do at this time at the show, just to give you the important details you need to know for this coming Shabbos. So this afternoon, the earliest time you can light your Shabbos candles is at 4.23. 4.23 is the earliest time you can get stuck into Kedushas Shabbos, get the house ready, get the food ready, get yourself ready, and be ready to welcome Shabbos, Malkasa, the Shabbos queen, at 423, and usher in the Kedusha, the tranquility, the beauty, the sanctity, and the serenity of Kedushas HaShabbos. If you can't manage to do it by then, the latest time for Benching Licht today is at 12 minutes past 5, 5.12 is the latest time that you can light uh, a Shabbos, Shabbos candles. Again, consider that as an absolute deadline. There's nothing to be done after that unless it's an extreme uh, emergency where really you need that time to, to avoid on breaking Shabbos. Otherwise, everything should be in place Everything should be ready. The house should be in, in, in order. One's head and one's sort of clothing and everything should be in order. And Shabbos should reign supreme in our homes. The car keys should be put away. If you go on a drive to shul, that's great. But be there already before 5.12 and then start Mincha on on time. Shkia, of course, this afternoon is then at 5.30, exactly half past 5.00. 
which is the absolutely latest time for doing mulacha, even in an emergency uh, a situation. If you want, therefore, to daven myrev at night and not have to repeat the Krishna, all you have to do is wait until 5.48. 5.48 will be proper night, and one can say the Krishna, and then, of course, we have a whole beautiful, glorious evening to spend together with our family and friends, some beautiful, beautiful warm food, some beautiful, beautiful warm and discussions and conversations between family members. Ah, the beauty of a family sitting together to celebrate the Shabbos is just the most wonderful, wonderful thought in the entire in the entire world. Make it something very, very, very special. Tomorrow morning, the Pasha we're going to lay in is the Pasha of Pinchas, one of the longest Pashas in in the Torah. We go through, as I said, the selection of Pinchas and the reward he gets. It's about the, uh, the again, the recounting of the Jewish nation. It's Moshe Rabbeinu's quest for a leader. And then the end is all about the sacrifices that were brought on every single Shabbos and Yom Tov throughout the year, what exactly they, they were. So it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful Pasha. The Aftarah is not the Aftarah of Pasha's Pinchas, but because we've already gone through the Shabbos Patamas, we've started the three, the three weeks. So the Aftarah for the Shabbos is the, is the Aftarah actually in the Sidurim. It's printed as the Aftarah of Pasha's Matos. It's the first chapter plus a Pasuga too of the book of, uh, of Yirmiyo. And uh, it, it sets the somber tone that we need to be in at this time of uh, of of year. So that's Aftira. Shabbos Kodesh carries on. We'll learn. We'll learn this week the sixth Perik, the final Perik of Perkiyavus Perik Perik Vov, and Shabbos Kodesh ends tomorrow night at six oh four four minutes past six. And then we go into another beautiful, beautiful week of, of productivity, of accomplishment, of, of taira, of, of chesed. So much to look forward to every single, every single, uh, uh, day. We are talking about the Indian of Hatmana, of wrapping up food, keeping food warm for the Shabbos meal. And we said you're not allowed to wrap uh, pots that are, let's say, on your on your hot tray or on your platter, you may not wrap them with a towel or or a blanket. And even if you do that on erev Shabbos, and even if the towel or the blanket doesn't add particularly to the level of heat that it's there, it just maintains the hope that the heat that it has. Since the the pot is placed on that plata, so that's as if I mean it certainly is the the heat is being added. Not even if it's not being added by the wrapping, it's being added by the fact that it is already on the plata, and therefore we we judge it as if it is literally. Uh, wrapping something up in, in, in a means in which it's going to gain a heat, which we said is forbidden to do even on Erev, Erev Shabbos. Now, this prohibition of wrapping something that's on the hatre uh, or on the plata only applies when we wrap up, let's say, the pot on all sides, where it's completely enveloped in the blanket or, or towel, that is forbidden. But if we don't wrap it up on all sides, so that is not, that is not prohibited. So therefore, you'd be allowed to wrap up most of or a pot, or wrap up a pot most of the way around, even though it's on the, the plata and use a towel or, or, or a blanket to do so. Because so long as the pot is not completely blanketed, completely wrapped up, there's no prohibition of, of atmana in, in doing so. And you'd be allowed to do it 
Even on Shabbos, says, says the Ramah. Now, if, let's say, you take your pot and you put on top of the pot a tray, a tray which is slightly wider than the actual, than the actual pot, then I could take a towel and drape it over the top of that tray, which means when it hangs down, it will be hanged down, not in direct contact with the, the, the pot. It will surround it, but it won't be hugging it. It won't be, it won't be touching it uh, uh, directly. And that's fine, because so long as the cover doesn't touch on all sides the walls of the kli, that's not called Hatmana, says the Shulchan Aruch in, in Simon, in Simon Rational and Zion. Now, one has to be though very careful not to place on the, uh, to use for your wrapping anything that's wet. If you have a, 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 a towel that is moist or, or has absorbed liquid, before you put it on the the pot, that's a problem because that is certainly going to dry out the 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 towel in the heat that is uh, coming from the from the plata, and that's going to make a person violate the prohibition of of libun of of whitening by by so by so doing. So be careful that the towel is completely is completely dry. Now we get to the whole concept. Therefore, of a a crock pot, a slow a slow cooker, and there are those who want to therefore ban the use of a crock pot on Shabbos because of the problem of hatmana, because the pot is completely submerged and and kind of. Uh, 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 Subsisted inside the the external shell, which is the heating source. And if the food was not completely cooked, so according to their opinion, the prohibition would be as far as the or also the issue of of leaving food on a fire which is not not covered. It's not a covered fire. However. There are others who hold that there's no Isser of Atmana in doing that because since the top of the pot is above the, the, the metal shell, therefore it's not considered Atmana. And, uh, what about the problem of Shia, of putting uncooked food in, in a pot? Right? So in that case, there you'd have to cover the controls which regulate the ability to adjust the heat and that will be, that will be sufficient. And again, it's a, it's a classic argument. Some do both ways. Some are machmir. Some believe that once you sort of, if you raise it, if you put something underneath, underneath the pot so it's not completely submerged, that takes away the problem of, of Atmana. Everyone should ask their Rav what you. This is 11.9 Chayef and the program is Soul to Soul. And this is the greatest Jewish radio station in all of Africa. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Musha Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, this is Soul to Soul, back on your radio. I'm Shabbos Kodesh Bashpinchas. Tashim Pegimov, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for taking the time to join us as we learn, have our last little segment, few minutes together, before we have to go running off to finish all of the Shabbos preparations that need to be done. The next issue we have to tackle is, of course we know, it's forbidden to have any benefit on Shabbos from any liquid, even water, that was heated in a prohibited way on Shabbos. But if, let's say, the water became hot without any sort of interaction by us, right? We did, we did nothing to it. So then we would be allowed to have benefit from it on Shabbos. Therefore, based on this, if let's say we have an electric geezer, right? Which is on from before Shabbos. 
So, Lechaira, you'd be allowed to use the hot water that flows from it on Shabbos. But, oh, Rabbi Shnurim said you can use the Gizra on Shabbos. Now, one second. There is a slight problem, and that is an electric boiler, electric geezer, so they're built in such a way that as soon as you open the tap to let water out, new water comes in, cold water comes into the geezer. And if the healing element that's in the, in the geezer is on and is, is heating, it comes out that when I open my tap on Shabbos to let water out, that's going to cause that new cold water is going to come into the geyser and is going to be heated on Shabbos. Right? So you, by opening your tap, you are causing the cooking, the heating of cold water, which comes into the geyser on, on Shabbos. And therefore, practically speaking, it is forbidden to open the, the, the hot tap on Shabbos in a time if the, if the Giza is actually, is actually, uh, uh, working. If you would have extinguished the, the Giza before Shabbos, so then it depends on another question. Right? Is the cold water that's going to come into the, into the geyser. Is that going to be cooked? Because if the, the hot water that you took out of the, <coughs> of the, of the geyser is boiling hot to such an extent that you can't even touch it, so then you still can't open the, the tap, uh, uh, even though the geyser is off because opening the tap is going to cause more water to come in, and that water is still so boiling, it's still gonna get cooked. The cold water that's gonna come into the, into the, into the geyser is still gonna get cooked. But, if the water that you're getting from the, from the geyser is already cool enough that you can actually touch it, so then, even though it's above the heat of Yad Selerisfoy, you'd be allowed to use that on Shabbos, because they wouldn't have the ability then to heat and cook the cold water that comes, that comes, uh, that comes in. Okay, we're going to stop here. More to say about this. We'll talk more about it probably next week. In the meantime, just a warm thank you to all of you for listening, and to each and every one of you, a beautiful, warm, geschmack, and inspired good Shabbos.